Well, you all missed it. I was doing a full Pretty Woman. A whole a whole excerpt of Pretty Woman happened before we started this recording. You missed it. I've watched Pretty Woman so many times that, like, the filler scene where he is at the door and he's fumbling and he's like, I miss keys. Mm-hmm. We put that in that movie. Why? Yeah, they needed, like, five more minutes. <laughs> Probably because Richard Gere was, like, old and cranky and him and, uh, what's his name, that old guy? Gary Marshall, please call me Gary. Uh, they were probably just cranky together in a hotel at the time. Yeah. So here's the thing, Sarah. It's your birthday. Are you going to ruin this for me? No. I, well, maybe because recently I looked up, how old is Richard Gere when he made that movie? Oh, no. I'm older than him now? No, surely not. He was like 41. Fun fact about me, my grandmother went gray at 18. Not like gray like I'm going gray. Like really gorgeous, silvery. That silvery. Gray. Like that perfect, beautiful woman gray. I did not get that gene, by the way, unfortunately. Anyway, she went gray at like 18, and so she was ageless. Like, no one ever knew how old she was because she'd been gray her whole life. And so she, I mean, literally the woman was in her 80s and, like, people were like, I don't know. I mean, she's a witch. (laughs) So so there it is. Uh, Richard Gere is a witch. (laughs) Just sweet Capricorn. (laughs) Just sweet Capricorn. A little throwback to season one, everybody. You know what? Today, somebody on Twitter referred to us because they're, like, they discovered somebody who had never read Faded Mates. Actually, you guys, this is real grim. Did you see the tweet that was for, it was, like, right now, and Samantha Jackson tweeted something that was just super duper grim a tiktok that i did not approve i of. was like that's an urban legend has to be right i appreciate the the quality of the urban legends presentation but no way yeah no unacceptable <laughs> it was about kissing a cannibal anyway doesn't matter and it wasn't the donner party but no in like at like a baseball game <laughs> anyway it doesn't matter so she, and then somebody was like and then she referenced the fact that like this disgusted her beyond belief which of course it did but like the idea of a blood blow job is super hot <laughs> and, Our and then someone was like what book is that <laughs> Because we love you, romance, and you're always here for our bananas moments. And she was like, oh, my God, you got to read Immortals After Dark. You got to read IAD, and then you have to use Fate of Mates as your read-along buddy. And I was like, gosh, it was so long ago. It was. I mean, think about how much time and energy we put into that, that series. And now, like, no... I would say half of our listeners probably came to us. Later, yeah. More than, honestly, looking at the numbers this week, more than half of our listeners came to us after we were done with that series. Anyway, if you haven't read IED, it's coming up on winter break, and your kids are going to be just not only in your house doing school, but just in your house being annoying. A really funny tweet I saw today was like, somebody was like, they're canceling Christmas. You're not going to be with the kids. And somebody was like, promise. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> it's my birthday today. And, you know, we should say welcome to Faded Mates. Oh, we should. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Prokop. Happy birthday to my co-host, Sarah McLean. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read them. And today is my 42nd birthday. It feels old. Like 41 didn't feel old, but now I'm like, ooh, 
It's also possibly because I threw my shoulder out and my body's like, ugh. Oh, yeah, definitely those things, sure. (sighs) Anyway, Uh, point is that it's my birthday today, and this morning, my daughter, who is seven and one day, because it was her (laughs) birthday yesterday, which is fucking exhausting. I love that you guys. your birthday buddies, yeah. Do not have a child one day before your own birthday because all you want to do on your birthday is sleep because you've just thrown a carnival for a seven year old. <laughs> sure. During a pandemic. Yes. Anyway, um, so she woke up this morning. So last night she went to bed and, she, and like she got into bed and she said, This was the best day of my life. And I was like, Wow, well, we really did the job because it's pandemic and yeah. that's great. That is great. And then I got into bed at like 9 45 and Eric was like, How you doing? What are you thinking about? And I was like, I'm gonna go to sleep and I'm gonna sleep until I wake up. And he was like, You're not gonna do that because your kid is gonna wake up tomorrow morning and be like, It's your birthday. And sure enough, she did, but she also woke up to a snowstorm. Yes. Which, if anybody has ever had a seven-year-old in a snowstorm, (laughs) you know that's better than a birthday. Yes, right. Of course. So she leapt onto my sleeping form this morning at 7.15 and said, Mom, I have a great plan for your birthday. (laughs) And I was like, I severely doubt that. (laughs) And I was like, Are, is it sleep in and read a romance novel? And she's like, no, it's sledding. And I was like, is it you and dad sledding? <laughs> uh, anyway, I avoided sledding today. So that's my gift to myself. There you go. There you go. Well, I don't know why I told that story. Oh, because kids. Because kids. Children well, are a lot. We're talking about family this week and it's on brand. And I was telling Sarah that it is, we're recording at 3.18 p.m. And at 3.30, one of Little Romance's colleges is releasing releasing their things. Now, here's the part that's funny. So, How does this work? Because when we were getting into college, we waited for envelopes. And it was like the thick envelope or the thin the envelope. The thin envelope, yeah. And you just had to wait for it. And, of course, who knew when the mailman would come that day, right? So then I think there was a, a long period where they were emails. Also, Northwestern, I called my mom. I used to call my mom from the payphone at school every day that like week in April right yeah and I would call home and my mom would answer the phone and I'd say did anything come and I was waiting for Northwestern yeah and I was like did anything come and she said yes and I said is it Northwestern and she said yes and I said is it a big envelope and there was a long long pause and then she's like no and I was like And then I had to go, like, be cool. Spoiler, I wasn't cool. I worked at a gas station when I was in high school, like, at a convenience store, and my mom brought my letters to work. Uh, Oh, it was fun. Well, did you get into everywhere you wanted to get into? I did not. I got in one place, I got waitlisted one place, and I got deferred one place. Well, fuck those other places. Oh, no, turned down. Deferred and waitlisted are the same thing. Well, Northwestern wouldn't have me, and I know that, you know, Chicago, whatever, fine. But they wouldn't have me, and so fuck those people, too. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that I adjunct a class once a year at Northwestern, and no, the other day I was... Fuck you, too. <laughs> I was wearing a Northwestern sweatshirt, and Sarah was like, fine. I was like, what? I'm... <laughs> it's a betrayal. Look, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm going to send you some Northwestern gear. It's just going to arrive in your mailbox. My dream is to one day be like... a big enough name that Northwestern is like, ooh, let's get Sarah McLean to do that thing. And I'm going to be like, no, fuck you. I'm sending you a small envelope. (laughs) 
Well, here's what happens now. You read, so every school you apply to, they create an account for you, a portal. And so you have to log into their portal. So this isn't like a central, because I know they do the Common app now, which we did not have either. No, exactly. This is not through a central portal. No. So it's like terrible. So there's portals at every school he's applied to. So here's the part. He he comes running out and he was, so he got into Colorado College yesterday. Yay! Which was a reach for him and he was really excited about it. I know. Go a little romance. And he came running out and he was like, I got in. And it was really exciting. We all were so excited. But then he told us what happened. So he logged into the portal and he said, my computer was on full volume. And a video popped up of the Colorado College, like, mascot, like, dancing. (laughs) And then it's, like, basically does that, like, kind of dances around campus for 10 or 15 seconds. And then... It says, congratulations, like, class of whatever yeah. it would be. And then it, like, turns off and turns into, like, the letter. And he was like, oh. I had no idea what was happening. It was really, <laughs> very really startling. <laughs> but here's the part that's funny. So then Mis- Mr. Reed's Romance does medical school admissions. So Little Romance says they're going to release it at 7. And my husband's like, no, they're not. It's not seven. I, it's for sure not seven. And of course, Little Romance is like, why not? He's like, because if something goes wrong, there's no one in the office to fix it. He's oh, like, it see, will be smart. released during business hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that was also kind of funny, like that whole so. Aww. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. We can't wait. So we might have breaking news. Oh my gosh, we should have Nadia Shamel. Shamel, <laughs> breaking news. Yeah. Now you. T- I mean, we're doing okay, a lot. You right guys, now, we're doing a lot families. of chit chat today. But whatever. It's the holidays. It's our so, families. So as I mentioned, my my daughter <laughs> turned seven yesterday, and. Coming as probably no surprise to anyone who listens, she's a little bit of a drama queen. It doesn't come from my side of the family. It totally does. Um, anyway, so she, uh, Eric bought her a karaoke microphone, which we will actually put into show notes because I did not know this, but she showed it on Zoom to her whole class yesterday. Yeah. And like half the class was like, I have that too. So if you've got a cool. seven-year-old in your life and you're looking for a good gift, apparently this is it. So he bought her this karaoke microphone, which she used to sing the Frozen songs at the top of her head, of of her lungs for, you know, a period of time. And then she just got tired of singing. So she invented a weatherman or woman, (laughs) a weather person named Nadia Shamel. Who works and, for NPR, clearly, with that name, right? Um, and I'm like, what? Where did this name come from? And she came rolling into my office yesterday and was like, this is Nadia Schmel reporting the weather from Brooklyn, New York. We are having a snowstorm today. Stay warm, stay bundled, and stay tuned. So cute. <laughs> it's so, so cute. cute. And I have a video of it, and maybe we could put some of the audio in. Uh, it's adorable. So that you guys can all hear. <laughs> I mean, I I love it. I love it so much. I have an aunt named Nadia, and like, I have no idea how my daughter learned this name because she's. It's not like I talk about this aunt very much, but it's a great name. It is a great name. It's a very like Nadia Shamel is exactly who I want to do my weather. Absolutely, there is a woman on the Chicago weather who I catch every once in a while, who dresses sometimes like a supervillain. Like it is so like unironically. 
Yeah, like it's just like a real dramatic look. I'll, I put it on Twitter once because I actually stopped and like took a photo and was like, this is the <laughs> Chicago weather woman right now. Or maybe she announces the lottery numbers. It, well, she, it's very intense. That's the thing about local TV, even in these big markets. Like uh, we live in New York City. Our local TV is like, well, there might have been a Santa sighting today. On, like you're like, this is New York City and this is the best we can come up with. <laughs> Six cats saved from a yard in Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, one of my cats did run up a tree once. Did I ever tell you this story? We repatriated her from outside and offered her a good home and she would get outside. And she, like, chased something up really far up a tree. And then she was, like, hanging on a branch. And I was like, Maddie, this is the city. <laughs> The firemen are not coming for you. <laughs> you got to get down on your Steve own. Steve Martin is not coming. <laughs> no, that is not happening. Did and, you know, yeah. do you uh, do you recognize yes. that deep cut from Father of the Bride, right? Oh, no, no, no. It was no, from it was Roxanne. Roxanne, which is a great movie. Right. The Grindstone. <laughs> when he says like I'd hate to see the Grindstone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. My favorite part of Roxanne is when they're fighting and she, she comes out of the house. He says, 10 more seconds and I'm leaving. And she comes out of the house and he's like, she, and she says, what did you say? And he says, I said 10 more seconds and I'm leaving. And she says, I thought you said earn more sessions by sleeping. <laughs> that movie and is truly says, funny. Yeah. Well, what the hell does that mean? And she says, I don't know. That's why I came out. And I say it anytime Eric says, what did you say? I say, <laughs> I said, I That's earn more sessions by sleeping. And it makes him crazy. So there you go. A little glimpse. You got our whole family. You got Little Romance Waiting for College. You got uh, you got my daughter, <laughs> Nadia Chamel. And you got How I Annoy My Husband on the regular. Right. And my husband being like, it's not happening at 7. No one's in the office. It was amazing. <laughs> Meanwhile, yesterday, I was like, are you taking notes about the dancing? You can do that on the medical school? And oh, my like, God. Please. He was like, we call them. They, they make, actually, they make. Personal calls to people. Well, that's because they want them to pick them. Sure. But I was like, that's amazing. You're going to go make amazing. someone's day. Does Mr. Romance actually, like, pick up the phone he himself? He picks up the phone and calls people and offers them spots in medical But that's school. part of his job. He picks yes. up the phone. That's a good yes. part of your job. That, I bet that's I, a nice no day. Kidding. Of course. He was like, I'm making people. I want to call people and make them happy. All I'm doing is calling Georgia, making people mad. <laughs> actually... Last night, we phone banked, and it was great. And you know what? I think it was really mellow. A lot of people are like, I've already voted. And I was like, that's great. Our organization will not call you again. And it felt like really, it actually feels really they positive were like, to just. Thank God. Yeah. And I was kind of like, many people might have your number, but our organization will not call <laughs> yeah. you again. But they they were great. It was a great night of phone banking. I wasn't there because birthday. But. Now we have gone, we are 17 minutes into the podcast. Eric's going to cut that down. It's going to be like four. I think it's fine. I believe in him. So Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Is out on Friday. I actually have been thinking a lot about how, like here in Chicago, we still, if you've been here a long time, you still call it the Sears Tower. Mm. And I feel like you're going to really be able to tell whether or not you got to it first versus to TV or books, whether or not you call it Bridgerton or the Bridgertons. I think it's going to be the, a dead giveaway. I think so, too. I actually think it's this week, actually, I was thinking about that title, and I was thinking, like, oh, what an interesting choice to, like, 
keep that name as the title of the series because it really is leaning heavily on romance readers to, like, be excited and come for it. Because otherwise, like, it could have been, I don't know, Sexy Eyebrow, the series. (laughs) From Shonda Rhimes. Awesome costumes. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Right? Falling in front of the queen. Look at this brocaded dress. <laughs> Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews as, or it could yeah. have been like Lady, Lady Whistledown. Whistledown. Right. 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 But it's not. It's Bridgerton. And that means that they really believe, I really think that somewhere, some somewhere, yeah. someone at Netflix was like, hey, Maybe romance readers are a big enough block that they will come for this show. Well, I was thinking about it. Every They certainly do for all these Hallmark Christmas movies. I mean, I think there's, a, if you if you can have that, that many Christmas movies that are based on, like, small town romances, why not? Right? I really believe in it. I think it's going to be amazing. Well, Virgin River isn't exactly the sexiest title of you've ever heard either. And it's back for season two. It works great. I mean, big, very popular. Yeah. I'm um, excited. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. And so anyway, it's coming. And for those of you who don't know, the Bridgertons are a family, a romance, romance royalty, if you will. Um, and they are one of many romance families. And so we thought that it might be fun for us to do an interstitial specifically on family romance romances, meaning like big series connected by a family that give you an opportunity to like learn about an entire family and they're just these endless webs of romance novels. So first of all, one of the things that's really fascinating about romance readers versus non-romance readers is our firm expectation that any interesting secondary character will get their own book eventually. And so one of the things that's really interesting is there's then limited ways to build this this like web of people, right? And you and I both came up at a time when it was family. And I think now there's a, there are some that are built on friendships and even like coworkers. But, you know, for us, really, in the 80s and 90s, foundationally, when we think about Joanna Lindsay and Jude Devereaux and um, Julie Garwood, right, All the, they're all about family. So now, I think there are other ways to do it, right? It's the, off, it's the people in the office. It's your friend, the friendship groups, right? But I think, foundationally, the family thing is really what we came up on, and I think that it still offers both authors and readers, kind of limitless opportunities to expand the world now in a way that's interesting even going backwards in time and not just forwards in time. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think that there's something to be said for the way that we talk about these family romances um, as real juggernaut series. Um, And before when we were sort of talking about who we wanted to talk about when we did this this episode and i think we decided we're just going to freewheel and kind of talk about the many many cuz you know i wrote down a bunch of families there's so many families that we love as romance readers um that are both generational and simultaneous and so um but when we talk about them we're really uh having every every huge romance writer like the biggest of the big 
when you say, when you name them, they almost all have a family that you can name along with them. Like, right. They, there's, there's, you know, the Beverly Jenkins and then there's, you know, the Levesque family or the, you know, and that's, and, you know, Beverly came late to the game in terms of just time-wise in romance. Right, this was the 90s, the mid-90s as opposed Back to the Back in the day, in the 80s, it was all families. It was the Mallorys and the Montgomerys and the Westmorelands and the, you know. The Taggarts, the right? Tagger, the Taggarts. Those Americans. Yes. Just with their swagger. Well, and you know what? Here, so it's funny you mentioned Beverly Jenkins. I um, saw her speak um, at a library, um, like a Southside Chicago library. And the, and it was it was full of her like super fans and it was really really charming because at one point she mentioned a book and couldn't remember I think she like you know said it was like a Vance but it was really a Levesque or in, and the the crowd like of people were like no you've got it wrong and it was such a charming moment because I had this I remember thinking like this is what these books mean to people like they're be, they become like our family. Right. And so there's a way in which we are so invested in in the family dynamics, in the family's success, in the family. Right. And it was just like a really charming, like, example of like her, like the author kind of not remember something that the fans were like, I totally remember all these yeah. details. It was well, great. because I think that when you are reading a family, you are becoming a part of that family. That's yeah. the appeal of the family romance is feeling like this is families as they are meant to be. And look, we I think you and I, I'm not sure if we talked about this on the podcast, but I know we've talked about this in like real life. But there is a mythology to what a family should be like. And I think it's actually really telling that we're doing this over the holidays. Right. Because holidays are often that time where all of us, where many, many, many of us are pressed to both like address the mythology of the family dynamic Mm -hmm. and like the way a family should be with like somebody sneaking in and making Folgers coffee while everyone wakes up and like finds their, their, you know, all the presents under the tree and like everyone's happy to see everyone else and it's all like perfect and wonderful and like very Mm -hmm. Norman Rockwell. And then there's this other piece of the puzzle, which is like the reality of family, which is often very fraught and very, and like really there are tons of like struggles with families and, you know, most of us end up in therapy to talk about our families. Like, and so I think there's this, this kind of disconnect between what the mythology of the family is and what the reality of the family is. And in romance, the promise of the family romance is this kind of, real like happily ever after for the family too. Yes. Right. Like that's not to say, and I will say there is an irony to this in that many romances that are not family romances use family as a conflict. Right. Point. Right. Yes. And not like a best friend's little sister kind of thing, like a real conflict point. Like my father was problematic or my mother was absent or my brother is an asshole, you know, whatever those things are. Well, and I would say sometimes in the family romances, there's also a feeling of, like, siblings aligning together to try and make things better in the face of 
unsupportive or even terrible parents. So it's kind of like, well, we were, or, or they're missing or, you know, we are missed They're you know, they're dead. They were, we were abandoned, but we have banded together as siblings as this group of people around the same age and the family that we're going to make together with our loved ones and the extended family of us, we're going to do better. Mm-hmm. Right than the than the family we were left with, and I think that's another also like really interesting part of the family dynamic is is sometimes that distinction between like siblings and cousins versus children and parents. Yes, well, and that sort of that that's really embedded in that that historical the historical and. Am I using this term right? The antecedents? I guess yes, right? The, like, historical past of the genre, the the birth of the genre in historicals, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't be a Duke if your father's alive. And so, and I think what's really interesting is orphans were, all heroes were orphans yeah. in those early days. You almost never saw a mother. You definitely didn't see fathers, and you almost never saw a mother. And so... I think the joy of Bridgerton's was Violet Bridgerton, the mom, who was this kind of like loving, kind, caring mother who had raised these eight children on her own. And so you had the clever, wonderful dynamic of the the siblings being fun and funny together. And then suddenly you had Violet, who was like the the perfect mom in all this too. And so there is that, right? But there's also, but I think you're absolutely right. Like when you think about the Sinsters or the Montgomery's or the Mallory's or the Taggart's, there were no parents. This was a family, a wide reaching family tree. God, I loved any book that had a family tree when I was growing God, yes. That's oh, yeah. I can still see that Sinster family tree that was yes. in the beginning of every Avon book. Right. I will admit that I don't often anymore, like, read an entire series that becomes that big and sprawling. Mm. Just because I, like, lose track of it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's also really fascinating, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I probably should investigate and read, is we now have authors who have been around long enough that they're writing either the pre-generation or the second generation. And the thing I've spent my time thinking about a lot is like, okay, so Devil, Sinster, and Honoria had these, you know, Honoria, in, this is in Devil's Bride, her um, parents died in a carriage accident, and they she lived with some kind of not great relatives, and his father is dead, and his mom is like the dowager and wants him to get remarried, and they each have this like struggle with like the parental, like, I don't know, like kind of layer. And and so that's a big part of like them coming together. And then I found myself thinking, well, like how, what is the conflict then if you have the second generation of a family where they're all HEAs, right? What is the conflict if you grow up with devil, you know, if you grew up in... If you grew up in Derek Craven and Sarah, are your parents? What's yeah, your well, Lisa right? Klebus did this right, where Devil in Spring was the story of the daughter of uh, Saint Vince of Saint Vincent and Evie, right? No, so, like, it's the son, or the, I'm sorry, the son. There is also a daughter who gets his story, but um, yeah. So, so Devil in Spring is the son, and like, yeah, you have this moment where you're like, how, how do how? you break him if? 
he's the child of these perfect people. And she does it so smartly, right? Like, where she breaks him sort of after he leaves home mm-hmm. because she can't. I mean, like, right. obviously, it's not going to be his conflict is never going to be my parents didn't love me. Right. 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 Um, my parent, my father was bad to my mother. My parents didn't want children. Whatever all the things are that are the conflict originally. And it also cannot be that they're dead because it. they need to live no, forever. we need to see them. No, and that's the real joy of those Kleypas, the new round of Kleypas books. The 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 Ravenals. The Raven, which is the Ravenals, yeah. And then, you know, all the other books, the, every other writer who's tried that kind of second generation of the family – Part of the joy is seeing. Yeah, of course. You know, it's still like my favorite scene in that book is seeing Sebastian and Evie just hot for each other. Yes, still. 20 years, years later, later, still right? super hot for each other. Right, right. Now, what's interesting is for Julia Quinn, her latest. It's the people, the cousins above. It's like the brothers and sisters, the cousins of her, their father. Yeah, but you see this glimpse of Violet and whoever the husband yeah. was and with like baby baby Anthony and baby Benedict I know and and I was like this would be really appealing I right right I'm sure that there's some real Bridgerton like fan service yeah, there yeah it's so much love right? for the family but at the same time I found myself wondering like I wonder if Julia Quinn thinks to herself now <laughs> if I never should have killed that man off because now what, right? But then you can't have Anthony being a a, no, a Viscount, I mean, right? It has to be. And there's some truth to it. And also Violet and and their dad is they're sort of really like almost tertiary characters in mm-hmm. these books. She's smart about how she's writing that this new Bridgerton series because she's keeping it you know, a real separation between the two so that, you know, you don't get too attached to this poor man who's about to get stung, get stung by, by a bee. A bee. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, so the joy, when we talked last week about Julia and the joy of, of Julia's books and how she writes family and I, and I kind of, I'm, I marked the, the fact that she can write these big families really effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, without thinking even a mo, it, it just seems like she doesn't even have to worry at all about, you know, fewer characters or really, she can write these big, beautiful families. And I think part of the joy of that, and I don't think we talked about this last week, is the ability to write characters who are all very different from each other. Yes. Right? And that's part of the joy of all of these family romances is there's the kind of, there are all these kind of familial archetypes in the books, right? Like, the youngest one is always the irresponsible one. The, you know, oldest one is always, like, very concerned about propriety. Like, there's sort of, there are rules that they all fall into. There's always, often these family romances are brothers, or at least, like, the lion's share of the kids in the family are brothers, I feel like now we get sisters, but it did really feel like a lot of them were rooted in brotherhood like, back in the day. Yeah, Honestly, I feel like Eloisa James' Essex sister series did that almost first, that kind of, there are only girls in this one. Um, and they were, again, orphan girls who, 
you know, had to band together. Megan Frampton has the Duke's daughters, yep. where one Duke, I think, has five daughters. And so it's like the the dilemma of like, well, who's going to be the heir and how does that all going to work out? I mean, so some of it is also because you, you know, we want the, right, we want the Dukes. We want the, and so by having them in historicals be, be men, right, then we preserve that part of the story. There's a lot to unpack about the way that romances love a family, right? Like the twin, we should do an interstitial about twins in general, but so many of these families involve twins. And like twin boys who look like well, right. Kenar. And, but that's also the like it could have been me, right? Yeah. Like this one trick of fate and my whole life would have been different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think that where do you want to start? So I want to talk about I mean, I think there are a lot of a lot of um, examples for us to sort of run through. But do you think it would be valuable to do like kind of over time how families have what families do or what do you think? Let's start with some maybe some Bridgerton Rita likes, which I think of as being like if you love Bridgerton, the the books or the series, and you're like, okay, what could I read next that would sort of, like, fill that sort of potentially? I think maybe that would be something we could talk about. And for me, I feel like um, a really obvious, easy answer there is Lisa Claypas. Mm-hmm. Either the Hathaways, right? Probably the Hathaways. I think it's the Hathaways. I would say. That's, yeah. the, that's the family. Yes. That people think of as Lisa's family. Yeah. And it's magnificent. I mean, Oops. it's a group of, oh my gosh, they're all so, it's all, it's all girls, mm-hmm. um, it, with the exception of one brother and, um, the brother and the brother of course is a governess romance because they've had the, they've had this governess with them their whole life, these girls. Yes. And so he and the governess are in love and she has a secret and it's delicious. So the first one is meet me at midnight. Is that right? Mine till midnight. Mine till midnight. There you go. Okay. Is that Harry Rutledge? No, that's Cam. Oh, <gasps> right. <laughs> my God. And if you, well, this is the other thing. This is that sort of the Kleypas cinematic universe, right? Because there is Cam, who was a secondary character in the Wallflower series because he worked for Derek. No, he worked for St. Vincent. Um, and he was set up. He was, this is, he was teed up in one of the Wallflower books to be the hero of the fourth book in the Wallflower series, but it didn't work. When when Lisa finally sat down to write the fourth book, it was clear that, like, Cam was not the proper hero um, for Daisy. And so she sort of set him aside and brought him back as the yeah. first hero in, um, in The Hathaways. And then Seduce Me at Sunrise, which is his brother... Uh, Clay, this is this is Kate yeah. Claiborne, Kate's right favorite Claypus, and it is long, <laughs> long. It's like long, ever, ever long pining yeah. between these oh, two. Oh, between Kevin and Winnie, right? Yeah. And then book three is Tempt Me at Twilight. That one is Poppy and Harry, and Harry owns a hotel and bath. Yeah, there. Yes. And it's sexy. Yeah, of course. And I want to say he's into automaton. 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 Automaton.
could be marrying Winterborn, which is a department store owner. Right. So Catherine and Leo is married by morning. All right. That's brother and the governess. Mm. And then love in the afternoon. Larry novel of the bunch and my favorite. Yeah. yeah. And Beatrix is like super into animals. She's like a primordial testadere heroine. <laughs> if you love testadere, go that way. But these, here's a good example. So this is five, five siblings and they have that real Bridgertonian feel to them in the way that they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Like they love each other desperately. They tell each other the truth. They are like, they're really wonderful. They're a wonderful, wonderful family of, yeah. of siblings who have like come together and like pulled themselves together and been close with each other through like the worst of times, but they're also, they take none of the, nobody takes anybody's shit in this family. So it's really yeah. fun to watch. And I think that is where we, that's where we start to really love a family is like when we feel like, oh, this is the dynamic. I wish I was in this family. Yes. Right. You right. know who else writes a family like this that I really love is Farrah Roshan. The Holmes Brothers series feels yes. like this to me. Yep. Yeah. Um, which is like, I don't know, 50,000 books long. I was going to say eight, <laughs> but maybe it's 50,000. Is it eight? Yeah. I think it's eight. It's, it's probably eight, not 50,000. That's a lot. Right. And it's, like, mostly boys, a couple of girls. Um, there's, like, the irresponsible youngest son. <laughs> there's the daughter who, like, can't – everybody is in her business. All her brothers are in her business. And so she's like, I got to get out of here. That one's Chase Me. I really love that one. There's a marriage in trouble. In this one. Which makes sense. There should be. Yeah, of course, right? You know, when we see a big series like that, you also can see an author handle. Well, I mean, first of all, I think the other thing, the the other reason people love families is to watch other, right? You're you're always going to get that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Uh you're going to see those glimpses of people. And so I think it takes, uh, I think it's pretty great for a writer to then say, well, okay, now I'm going to take this couple that you've seen be happy and put them in trouble. And then we're going to see what happens there too. So that I think is another, um, yeah, really famous, right? Really famous one. Um, I was going to talk about how much I liked um, Cecilia Grant's um, Blackshear family. Series. Oh, well, now's a good time to do that. And now is a good time to do that because the first one, essentially the zero, it starts with a prequel novella. Um, and um, it is uh, called A Christmas Gone Perfectly Wrong. And it is, I mean, if you've never read Cecilia Grant, now these books are a, probably a decade old. Did A Lady Awakened? I think I looked it up earlier today. It was 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, ugh, this is a really great series. And so in A Christmas Gone Perfectly Wrong, we get the oldest brother, Andrew. He's 25. And he has gone to buy a falcon for his sister who's getting married 
from, you know, and of course. Customary engagement gift. (laughs) But you know what? He's such a good brother because the thing he describes is they're kind of like, why do you want this? This isn't really typically a gift you buy for someone and they don't know it's coming. It's like buying someone (laughs) a puppy. And he says, well, you know, her new husband's kind of sporting, but I wanted her to have something that was totally hers. And it's really like the way he thinks about his family and his responsibility towards them throughout the entire book. And but his and it's he's just such in some ways he's like this total stick in the mud, (laughs) right, where he's just so prim and proper. But in other ways, he he really does believe that like his moral fiber is entirely who he is. And if he doesn't live up to his morals, then what's even the point of calling yourself a gentleman? And he ends up kind of getting bamboozled into taking the falconer's daughter, Lucy, for a drop, like to sort of drop her off somewhere. And their wheel breaks and they need a wheel right and they have to pretend to be married. And there's only one bed. But this book is honestly, it is a Christmas novella and it is perfect. And Kate loves it and has been live tweeting it. Everybody loves it. It's Everyone such loves a it. hugely, hugely popular yes like when you talk to people like what is the holiday novella you should read this is on any historical lovers list so well and the second book in the series is called a lady awakened and it is another one of those books where and i don't you know we talk a lot about like the books that blooded us but i think we've been really clear all along like this might work for you or not, but, like, no book yeah. is required or whatever. But a lot of—A Lady Awakened was a book that for years people have been like, you really should read that, Jen. And I finally read it just a couple of—maybe in the last month. And it is astounding. And it's got this classic setup. It's, I think, Martha, mm-hmm. whose husband has died. And if she is not pregnant, she's going to lose— um, a lot of the things that she has worked so hard to build with this husband, and not just her home, but also, like, money that was promised to, to, to make a school for the local vicar. And so she does something pretty outrageous, which is kind of talk the local rake into impregnating her. And she's basically like, come to me twice a day. We're going to fuck morning and night and I will get pregnant and no one will know. And this will allow me to sort of keep, do the good works I was going to do with this. And her journey is, it, it is, a, a, it's so good. It this is. Whole, I mean, this series is, and, and I would say it has like a, a lot of, we talked last week about Miranda Cheever, the emotional weight. Mm-hmm. These books are so, like just people who are so repressed and it's like you know their emotions are just like bubbling out of them and they can't do anything to stop it but and the writing is really spectacular so yeah if you're looking for something it's not as light and fun as the Bridgertons but I think it's commitment to like the family and how they deal like how these like very like tightly wound people face really um challenging to their morals dilemmas is it's a real joy that whole series it's and it's short i think it's only four books but i think really pretty great doing a lot of amazing work well she's terrific she's a terrific writer i almost think that you have to discount family books family series i know i've named a couple of them but i feel like you have to discount family series that are shorter than four books because i just think like 
I think they don't right. do the work of family series that are that longer. are really long. Yeah, right. And I'm and I think that there's something to this idea that like readers want to come back again and again to old friends. Yes. And I think that part of this is about um, a it almost scratches that same itch as the small town. Like, mm-hmm. a big yes. family is really a small town. Yes. And so when we talk about, um, you know, and and that's why in historicals, when you talk about, like, the Levesque family, right, Bev- Beverly Jenkins is Levesque's, mm-hmm. that's a Western, right? Right. And I think that family romance, as it moved out of historicals and into contemporaries, it kept that sort of Western small town feel. And I'm thinking about, I know you also love Elizabeth Lowell. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, that series was the Blackthorns and the Mackenzies. Yes. Was that like, right? Mackenzies? I feel like it was. Oh, yeah, God. Right? It's the Rocking M series. And I just, it's the... It's the Mackenzies. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mackenzies and the Blackthorns. I'm asking I'm only I'm confused because I was also going to I was also thinking about Jennifer Ashley's Mackenzies. Mackenzies, right. Who are also another really fun like big sort of all over like far-reaching Scottish family. I think we talked about The Madness of Lord Ian Mackenzie oh, like back in season is, 1, which is a great book. A tr- just a like superb historical, but also she does the same thing where she sort of has all these Mackenzie br- again brothers, all these brothers, and they each tell this is this is Jennifer Ashley right now, not uh, Elizabeth Wool, <laughs> but they all but each story is a different trope, a real, and that's yep. sort of part of the fun too is yes. when you don't have to spend a whole lot of time introducing characters, you can really deliver on a trope or a plot. It's like yes. um, it's like your favorite um, Elizabeth and Jessica Wakefield, <laughs> Sweet Valley High. <laughs> sure, right? We already know what the, who these people are. We yeah. can just slide right in. It's like the Babysitters Club. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like three chat, three paragraphs at the very beginning of every book. Set the scene, and then we're just moving forward and with the story. Bam. Like yeah. you know who all the characters are. Stacy's a diabetic. Claudia is the cool one. Yeah, Christie's you know bossy, <laughs> and Marianne is meek. And that's that. Like there you go. Archetypes. Set them down and let them and like wind up the archetype and let it go. And it's interesting because I think that there's a lot of value in that when you're doing romance because um, we spend so much time playing with archetypes anyway that when you add in this kind of family dynamic, you really can say whatever you want to say about the archetype without spending too much time just like going over it. Um, but what's interesting is the Mackenzies, so there are two Mackenzies. There's Jennifer Ashley's Mackenzies, which came after. Sure. Because these Elizabeth Lowell Mackenzies were 1990. The yeah. Lowell Mackenzies. And I'm always curious about the kind of overlap in names because there are also two Westmorelands. Mm-hmm. And those are huge series. Oh, Brenda Jackson. There's and, the yeah. Judith McNaught Westmorelands, which is Whitney, my love at all. Um, and then, and we'll leave those aside because, like, that's sure. a big series, but I actually don't think that does the same work of family that agree yeah. the other series do. Um, I think those are doing, those are books, those books are doing different things. Um, but then you've got Brenda Jackson's Westmorelands, which are also Westerns and yes. sort of do this work again. So the Westmoreland series is, I just looked it up. She's been writing it 
The first one, which is... Um, well, and these have been in category romance, right? This is a category, yes. And they have been in all the... In Desire, and I mean, like, they've been everywhere, right? I believe that they have always been Desire. Oh, okay. Certainly the first one. So the, f- the first Westmoreland series is Delaney's Desert Chic, and it's a Desire, and it came out in November of 2002. Okay. And it's, um, and she, it's Delaney is a Westmoreland and then she goes off and <laughs> goes on vacation, I think. And like meets a show. But I mean, think about that 20 years of category romance. I bet there's, right. I bet we couldn't even count them all. And she now it's, it's a lot of them. And the most recent one, according to fiction database, so maybe it's not up to date, but usually they are pretty good, came out May 2018. Um, this series, and I will check this and we will put it in show notes. Um, Brenda Jackson was the first black contemporary author to hit the New York Times bestseller list. And I believe she did it with a Westmoreland novel. And I have that information. I just don't have it at my fingertips. So I'll put it in show notes. Okay. Um, I know the, the New York Times bestseller list information is true. I just don't know if the Westmoreland part is true. But these are Westerns. I mean, they're set. The series is far-reaching, obviously, when you write 34 of them. You end up kind of um, having to to do some, like, traveling. But they're largely set in uh, Atlanta and Denver. And those Denver ones, I mean, the covers are, like, hot cowboy on the cover. Yeah. Um, and what's great about them is they really lean they end up leaning into i'm looking at the list right now and like so these are the these are the titles of books 10 through 20 okay <laughs> so the first 10 are like you know romance romance titles delaney desert chic is chic thorns challenge riding the storm i mean like they sort of really are on the nose romance titles starting at book 10 which is called seduction westmoreland style and then in this mix, there's Seduction Westmoreland style, Taming Clint Westmoreland, Tall Dark Westmoreland, exclamation point, <laughs> those exclamation points, Me too. Westmoreland's Way, Hot Westmoreland Nights, What a Westmoreland Wants, Wife <laughs> for Westmoreland. I mean, like, what's cool about this is suddenly it's like the family becomes the most important piece. Yes, as I'm sitting here, I'm sort of trying to think of other examples of this working this exact way. But before I get there, because I'm all over the place right here, I want to talk about the fact that this family becomes a small town. Like, they all know each other. They are all in each other's business. Readers know them. Readers, like, understand that they're all in each other's business. And the gift that that gives the author and the reader is, oh, here's a completely new character who you've never met before, but don't worry, he's a Westmoreland. And then, plop, right down in the middle of the series, doesn't matter that you've never met him before, you understand by virtue of the fact that his name is Westmoreland, name is destiny. Yes, we know who these people are. And the other writer who does this beautifully, like textbook perfectly, is Bella Andre. Oh, yeah, the Sullivans. The Sullivan series, which originally was, like, eight or nine books set in Napa or California. And it was, like, they were all talk about every hero in a romance novel is king. Right. Bella Andre's Sullivans are all to a person kings. Like, this is, like, eight characters. And I always I I always used to laugh 
at Bella about this because we <laughs> we have been friends. Um, she like it at the time. It was like the one who owned a vineyard, the one who was a movie star, the one who was in the major league baseball team, the one who was the greatest fireman to ever live in San Francisco, the one who like every one of them was a superstar, and like it was a family of kings. And then she finished those, and she was like, "Well, why would I be done?" And so she ended up inventing, like, the San Francisco Sullivans. And these were just cousins who had never been referenced before. But, like, Doesn't matter. now here's a whole family of Sullivans. And you know every one of these characters is going to be a Bella Andre hero who is going to love his heroine unabashedly. And, like, it is going to be a delicious, beautiful romance because they are Sullivans, because they are Westmorelands, because they are you know, Holmes's or whoever's. Um, And I think that the value to this is that it gives readers an opportunity to both, um, to go back to this idea of like what a family should be mythologically and like what the joy of family should be. All of these, like, they never have to split holidays, this family, these families. Like, right. every the in-laws come to them for Christmas, always. Like, there's no argument. Well, why wouldn't you? So I, I and I love all those books, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's another interesting thing that family series sometimes do. And I want to talk about um, the Hidden Legacy series, which is by Alona Andrews. And the first trilogy is about the oldest sister in Nevada. The second trilogy, which is still in progress, is about the middle sister, Catalina. And one of the things that's really interesting about this series is it's about the tension between who your older siblings are and who you actually are. Like, who Mm -hmm. your older siblings think, like, what your older siblings think of you versus what you think of yourself. Right. But also, in this series, um, their grandmother is, like, evil, right? And so it's also this tension between, like... What do I do when part of the family isn't sunshine and roses and awesomeness? How do I reconcile, like, what I learned in this part of the family with, like, this outlier part? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a tension that a lot of us do really have to, like, reconcile with, right? Like, not everyone in our family is awesome and amazing. And so sometimes I think the other kind of cathartic read we get in series where there is like a a you know a a black sheep wing (laughs) right is how well who am I right which part of the which part of the family am I part of and how do I deal with the parts of myself that remind me of Victoria Tremaine in this case the bad grandmother right and in cattle and and in in the first series in Nevada series The bad grandmother is always other. But in the second series, Catalina learns from Victoria. Essentially, like, she talks explicitly about putting on Victoria Tremaine's granddaughter. Mm. And essentially, like, using that power and not just, like, turning away from it. And I think ultimately it's clear she will turn away from it 
but it's also a tool that she can use. Yes. And I think that that is the other thing that sometimes we get is, okay, so not all families are the Sullivans. So when there's a family with, like, the the bad seed, how how do you deal with that? And I, I think that for a lot of readers, that's probably incredibly cathartic, right? Yeah. That's interesting because I'm not sure... And maybe that's just because it's urban fantasy. I mean, I was first, I was going to say, first of all, right, you were not 100% talking about romance here, right? Right, sure. But, I mean, what I do love, I, I, I of course, love the moment. I love the moment when, like, a a heroine, it's usually a heroine in this scenario, but a heroine who... who has been raised in a certain way by a certain family, like figures out how to, man- how to use those tools to get what mm-hmm. she wants sort of in real life, like yes. in her real self. Right. Um, it's very like Joanna Shoopy, right? The, the devil of down, the um, Prince of, Bro- no devil of downtown. Yes. But, or they stand up and tell off the terrible old grandfather. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. We see that in romance all the time. But I, and I think, I mean, this is sort of a terrible thing to say, but I think like parents and grandparents are kind of expendable in these family romances often. Absolutely. Like, yes. like you said at the beginning, no, Violet is an outlier. Violet Bridgerton yes. is an outlier. Most of the time it's us against them, which does actually feel very like authentic to me in my family relationships. Like it's yeah. often like the kids against the parents, Right. right. Especially right. as you get older and, like, you know, are old enough to, like, have a life of your own. Yeah. Um, I think that that's really interesting. I think that there's something – I think I I have often thought about small town as being – you know, you and I are both sort of on the record as sort of not being wild about small town romances. I think that's because we're city people at heart, which right. is fine. But the reality is, is that like, I'm just getting it somewhere else. Right. Cities are small towns. Regencies are small towns. Like Westerns are definitely small towns. Like um, you're getting it every time you pick up. What's interesting to me about small town as a concept is it's just repeated over and over again in these mm-hmm. in the genre and of course and that's because of community that's because community of a yeah. search for happily ever after right and yeah. i think for us like the actual idea of like a tiny town in the middle of nowhere where everyone knows each other is like less in- interesting to us but you know if i had an opera if i knew anybody who had nine brothers and sisters who all got together every year at the holidays and had like some sort of like perfect relationship and it was awesome and amazing yeah i would be like can I like? Can I get a glimpse at that? Come. <laughs> My favorite trope in these big families is fish out of water. Though is the moment where either and that operates in two ways. It's either the person who's like been an orphan and never like been loved gets brought into this like yes huge family of like. This wild family, which Julia does beautifully in the Bridgertons, and I mean, I think any one of these series always there is some, some yes, usually it's a hero, but like there's some hero or heroine who is like brought into this fold, and then the other piece of, but the reverse of that is when in inevitably in these series there's the brother or sister who has to go on a journey, 
right? Right. Which I talked about this on um, Clayton and Aaron's podcast, learning the tropes about why I love to Sir Philip with love so much. And it's because Eloise Bridgerton has to go on a journey for that book. Like she has to leave. Who, what is a Bridgerton if there are no other Bridgertons with her, right? Right. I think we talked about this a little bit last week. but. Again, in all of these, there is that sort of, like, that's essentially what, like, the madness of Lordy and Mackenzie is like, what is a Mackenzie if you are not like all the other Mackenzies? Right. Yeah. So it's, like, ultimately about identity. So I think what I was going to say, and it's kind of related, maybe it's the flip side, is my favorite family trope is um, the sibling keeping a secret. Oh, yeah. Right? And so... Now, this is not a super long series, but for whatever reason, it's the one that, like, pops up into my mind. It's Jesse Mihalik has a series, of, like, a space opera series. It's Polaris Rising, Aurora Blazing, and Chaos Reigning. And in the middle book, Aurora Blazing, the heroine is—it's three sisters. Bianca has a secret that she is keeping from her family about some, uh, like, essentially secrets be- that were— in her first marriage. Her husband was, like, kind of abusive, and it's, like, space stuff. It's, like, sci-fi. He was doing experiments and, like, using her, and she cannot tell her family. And part of the reason she can't tell them is because she doesn't know how. But I think another often part is, like, it will hurt them or it will hurt me to have them know about my weakness. And this plays out in big family series all the time, right? Like, I have a secret, and even though these are the people in the world I am closest to, I cannot tell them for, usually it's one of those reasons. It will hurt them, or it will hurt me. I don't want them to see me this way. And reconciling, like, that act of reconciling the secret and the the person with the, back to the family becomes a big part of, like, their journey towards wholeness. Mm -hmm. And I find that I think in some ways it's easy to, you, of course you can walk away from your family, but it's harder for a lot of people. And so I think the other thing that's really powerful about the secret keeper Mm -hmm. is we see like this flaw in the family that other people aren't aware of. And how is, how is Bianca in this case going to reveal the truth to her siblings. Yeah. Right? And I, and again, I'm sure we could think of any number of examples of that plot too, but I think that that is another thing I really like about these stories is that I can't tell the people I love the most this truth about me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, that is a great um, trope. I'm actually writing that trope right now because I'm writing the fourth of a family of sisters. Wait, the fourth? The third. I'm writing Cecily Talbot's book. I can say that. It doesn't have a title yet publicly, but <laughs> I'm writing Cecily Talbot's book. It's the first book in Hell's Bells. And um, the Talbot sisters were like the cornerstone family of a series that I wrote. And um, and this is another example. This is an example of like, coming, I'm having a kind of different situation with mine where I'm not right. All that family stuff is still there, but it's not part of this series. Like she's, so she's kind of gone on a journey. Um, but it's happening in a different way because me. Yeah. So, (laughs) well, but I, I mean, and I think that that's something, I mean, even bare knuckle bastards in a way, I mean, the, the secret of, 
of Grace where she is in her identity. And I mean, so I think that that's another secrets part. Secrets are good. Secrets are, secrets make for good romances. And I think we struggle so much with that as readers and writers because we're sort of told that like, oh, well, it better not be something that can just be said out loud. But truthfully, like how often have you said everything you are thinking or feeling or being out loud to just whoever you love? Like, never, never. We all have secrets. We all keep secrets from each other, from ourselves. Like, ne- the that sort of, like, well, if only they just talked it out argument never feels 100% authentic. Sure. I'm like, welcome to my life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to talk it out, but I think that's the why it's a really compelling internal conflict because I think all of us see the way in which deciding just not to say something can turn into yes something bigger. The promise of the premise of the family romance is that ultimately, when you get to the place where your secret is out, because it absolutely will be, everyone will love you anyway. Yes. And that is really a happily ever after. Because yes, it's so powerful. Who, who among us really has that, like, keen, that certainty yeah. always of, like, no matter what. I will be loved. The, the people who say they love me today will love me tomorrow. Right. Even if I share this secret. This idea of, like, families can be anything. That's right. You and your pet. You and your friends. You and your... Mom. Right. And we talk about, like, found families all the time. But, like, you know, Derek Craven, at the end of Dreaming of You, his delight in having a child that is his. Right. Right? That is, like, him making a family. Like, right, starting something. This family thing, I mean, it's real tricky, right? And this is a whole nother episode that we have to put on our list for next year. But... This family thing, this, you know, is why the baby epilogue is so popular. It's why the secret baby is yeah. such an enduring trope. It's because there we are, again, it goes back, I know I sound like a broken record, but it goes back to this mythology of family somehow being the great healer. Yes. And we all know, some of us, sadly, much more than others, we know that that's not how it works. Like, we know that. We are our own healers, right? And if we are lucky, we find other people who love us broken and healed. But the truth is that family is never the solution. It is, uh, and in many cases, it's the problem, problem, right? Right. Um, But that's not how, that's not what we get told. And I think, you know, one one of the struggles that I have had as a grown ass woman in the world is this idea that like families are somehow more valuable than friends or more important than friends. Um, which is why, and you all know this, I gravitate so well, so much to found family because, and that's not because my family isn't, you know, I don't love my family. It's just because, you know, you get the opportunity with a found family to choose people who are simpatico with you. But that said, we're talking about family romances and I want to, and I think that that, I think that the promise of a group of people who are legally required to love you. Yeah. Right. To steal that Michelle Pfeiffer Robert Redford movie quote from when we were young that's like somehow imprinted (laughs) on me. I want to know you're legally required to be there. (laughs) Um, I feel like 
that's the that's what these books are doing. Well, but I think like it's that, but also that it can be easy. And I think for many, many people, being with family can be hard. And I think like that's like the real appeal is like, you know, we can like really see why people act the way they do, that mistakes that are made can be discussed and and smoothed over. Mm-hmm. But that ultimately, you know, that things can be easy with each other and easy with each other and the ones we love. Mm-hmm. I mean, and at the holidays, that's like a really beautiful yeah, idea. There's something really nice about that right, right. around now. Yeah. Like everybody wears a, I mean, we've said this a thousand times, right? Like how much do we want Cressley to drop the IAD, Ugh. like the, like God. the Roth brothers in their Christmas jumpers. <laughs> I would like it right now. <laughs> the Valkyries and their their annual Christmas brawl. But I mean, talk about families, right? Like, yeah, you know, granted, That's why we love granted, there's like, of course, right? The Valkyries. There's there's so many little families in that big giant community, mm-hmm. right? The the Roth brothers. I mean, talk about people who just. I know. I mean, ride or die for Conrad. Um, even when he's like lost to the blood. I mean, whatever. So it's like the thing, the opposite of secrets is like forgiveness, right? Yeah. And that really feels real. It feels real on a a year coming off a time when like there, everything has felt really fraught. And we all, and still does, right? Is fraught. Right. Right. And being, people can't be with their families this year. And I think that's causing a lot of us to reconsider and think about, well, Maybe next time we can be together, right? Like, my favorite Christmas carol has always been Have Yourself a Little, a Merry Little Christmas, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, you know, one day soon we all will be together if the fates allow. Like, mm-hmm. that lands really differently this year. And I think, I mean, I my hope is that for all of the people who don't, are, it's not easy with their family, that maybe next time, maybe next time it can be. Yeah. Well, however you count your family, we hope that you count us as part of it. And we love you, and we hope that you are having a gorgeous holiday week, if it is a holiday week for you. But let's be honest, it's a holiday week for all of romance, because Bridgerton is here on Friday. (laughs) There you go. So uh, no matter who you are, or where you are, or what you celebrate, we hope that on Friday you wear your jammies. And uh, you binge some Netflix, because that's what I'm going to really try to do. Same. I mean, I'm confused. I'm not, I still haven't quite worked out the strategy, but. This is when I think being an early riser is really going to work for me. I'm going to be rolling out of bed at 4 a.m. and just, you know, letting it roll. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to turn on, but do not tweet me, because I'm not going to look at Twitter until it's done. Until it's done. I agree. I mean, so I guess you can tweet me, but I'm not going to look at it. (laughs) You should tweet me. I like that. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it is almost the end of the year. We Something's happening next week. Who knows what it'll be? Um, and then we'll get back to reading in January. Uh, yeah. But we hope that you have a great um, end of the year. And 2021. Uh, what do we want to tell people? Thank God. 2021 is almost here. Almost. 2021 is almost here. Yep. And we're going to be phone banking one more time on January 4th. You're welcome to join us. Into the great state of Georgia. Yeah, we'll put sign-ups in show notes. The Empire State of the South. That's what it's called. Did you know that? 
I did not know that. It's not the peach state. I thought it was. It's not. It's called the Empire State of the South. Um, this is Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I'm Jennifer Brokop. Our we are produced by Eric Mortensen. And you can visit us at fadeamates.net for all sorts of goodies. Tell everyone about our goodies. Stickers, merch, t-shirts, mugs, bags, a playlist, a Spotify playlist, show notes, everything. IAD season one. The whole nine, as they say. Oh, articles we've been mentioned in. Oh, yeah. Now. Articles some of you have been mentioned in. Yeah. So uh, there's lots of fun stuff at the website. You should read uh, a family romance this week because they usually come in quantities larger than three. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, friends.